0: Good evening. President Biden lays out his climate plan. House members submit a road map to freedom for immigrants. New York restaurants may be opening for indoor dining, maybe. And a legendary Chinatown photographer is the latest victim of the virus as New York communities fight to control their future. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. In the most ambitious U.S. effort to stave off the worst of climate change, President Joe Biden signed executive orders today, transforming the nation's fossil fuel powered economy into a clean, burning one, pausing oil and gas leasing on federal land and targeting subsidies for those industries. He spoke at the signing.
1: This is not it's not time for small measures. We need to be bold. So let me be clear. That includes helping revitalize the economies of coal, oil and gas and power plant communities. We have to start by creating new good paying jobs, capping those abandoned wells, reclaiming mines, turning old brownfield sites into new hubs of economic growth, creating new good paying jobs in those communities where those workers live because they help build this country. It's about jobs, good paying union jobs. It's about workers, building our economy back better than before. It's a whole-of-government approach, put climate change at the center of our domestic, national security, and foreign policy. It's advancing conservation, revitalizing communities in cities and in the fa- on the farmlands, and securing environmental justice. Our plans are ambitious, but we are America. We're bold. We're unwavering in the pursuit of jobs and innovation, science and discovery. We can do this. We must do
0: this. And we will do this. Meanwhile, the president's special envoy for climate, former Secretary of State John Kerry, said the emphasis can't just be on
2: the United States, but worldwide. Ambitious uh, climate action is global in scope and scale, as well as Uh, national here at home. He makes climate central to foreign policy planning, to diplomacy, and to national security preparedness. It creates new platforms to coordinate climate action across the federal agencies and departments sorely needed. And most importantly, it commissions uh, a national intelligence estimate on the security implications of climate change to give all of us an even deeper understanding of the challenges. This is the first time a president has ever done that. And our 17 intelligence agencies are going to come together and assess exactly what the danger and damage and potential uh, risks are. The order directs the State Department to prepare a transmittal package seeking Senate advice and consent on the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol, an amendment that by itself, if, if ratified and fully enforced globally, could hold the Earth's temperature by 0.5 of an entire degree, not insignificant. And it sets forth a process for us to develop an ambitious new Paris target as well as a U.S. climate finance plan, both of which are essential to our being able to bring countries of the world together to raise ambition and meet this moment when we go to Glasgow for the follow-on agreement to to Paris. So that's the only way for the world to succeed together, my friends, again, this is an issue where failure literally is not an option. As he committed to doing on the campaign trail, The president is announcing that he will host a leaders summit on climate change less than three months from now, on April 22nd, Earth Day, which will include a leader level reconvening of the major economies forum. Special envoy for climate,
0: John Kerry. Biden has set a goal of eliminating pollution from fossil fuel in the power sector by 2035 and from the U.S. economy overall by 2050. The move comes with political risk in states that depend on the energy sector, But he's trying to create jobs in emerging industries like solar and wind power to offset job losses in coal and oil. And the Justice Department rescinded a Trump-era memo that established a zero-tolerance enforcement policy for migrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. The policy resulted in thousands of family separations. Acting Attorney General Monty Wilkinson issued the new memo to federal prosecutors across the nation yesterday, instructing prosecutors to act on the merits of individual cases. The zero-tolerance policy meant any adult caught crossing the border without permission would be prosecuted for illegal entry. Because children can't be jailed with their family members, families were separated, and children were taken into custody by Health and Human Services, leading to damning pictures of children being held in cages. More than 5,500 children were removed from their parents on the southern border. Some have never been reunited. Prosecutions had already dropped sharply after the Trump administration declared a pandemic-related health emergency. The policy was a disaster. No system was created to reunite the children with their families. A report from the Justice Department's inspector general found the policy caused a $227 million funding shortfall children suffered lasting emotional damage from the separations and the policy was criticized as grossly inhumane by world leaders and today rallies are taking place across the na- across the country on this national day of action on immigration targeting congress and the white house main action was in Washington, D.C., coinciding with the official introduction of the Roadmap to Freedom Resolution by Representative Pramila Jayapal. Jayapal is head of the House Progressive Caucus and worked to draft the legislation. The five-prong resolution is endorsed by more than 60 civil rights and immigrant advocacy groups. It focuses on keeping families together, providing immigrants access to social services, protections for frontline workers, ending police militarization in border communities, and providing alternatives to detention and deportation. Representative Jayapal said, we are not simply reversing the hateful immigration policies of the last four years. She was joined today by activists and members of Congress, including New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
3: As someone who came to this country alone at the age of 16, a person who is one of only 14 naturalized citizens serving in Congress today, for far too long, Congress has approached immigration reform through trade-offs, trading protections for some in exchange for increased enforcement. Now is the time to move away from that harmful dynamic and put forward a new set of principles that must underlie any piece of immigration policy that we pass. The roadmap to freedom will be our visionary document. It will be the North star for any necessary immigration policy reform.
2: Now I'd like to turn it over to my congressman, our OG, our brother in the struggle, Representative Chuy Garcia.
0: What we are introducing today is a comprehensive roadmap to return
4: America to a nation that welcomes and celebrates its diversity. Good afternoon and greetings to everyone. I'm Congresswoman Yvette D. Clark, and I proudly represent New York's 9th Congressional District. I have seen the glaring inequities and civil rights violations that disproportionately impact immigrant families and communities of color. The time has come for the values of our nation that they are reflected in our immigration policies.
3: Representative Escobar. I'm Veronica Escobar, and I represent Texas 16th Congressional District. I'm coming to you from the safe and secure uh, U.S.-Mexico border, the community of El Paso. Um, And as many of you know, El Paso, unfortunately, was ground zero for many of the Trump administration's most horrific and abhorrent anti-immigrant policies we were the testing ground for family separation we have been the location where massive numbers of expulsions have taken place where vulnerable migrants have arrived at our front door only to be greeted by a government that has used cruelty as a deterrent and now we will hear from perla silva from new york i am a member of the organization make the road new york i just want to share. Three years ago, my parents and I went to go visit my oldest sister and my brother-in-law in Wardrum Military Base on to spend the Fourth of July weekend together. Upon the arrival, the military officers refused to accept their identification and insisted to call Cust- Customs and Border Patrol to arrest my parents. My parents were placed under ICE custody and were held at the Buffalo Federal Detention Center in Batavia, New York for the 19 days. After paying $20,000 bond with the support of um, our fellow New Yorkers and across the country, I was reunited with my parents. But during those 19 days after my five-year-old daughter had seen her grandparents be put in handcuffs to be put into cages, she constantly asked about her grandparents and I was just terrified of not being able to see them again My parents were taken from us and put in cages, um, sorry, at the ICE detention facilities, despite having serious medical conditions that were required attention, which were denied last year. I lost my mother to COVID-19 and nothing can make up for that. But today I have try together um, the strength to speak up and share my family's story to urge members of Congress to support the Roadmap to Freedom Resolution. This resolution is a platform that outlines our values and principles, not only under the harm imposed on the communities by under the Trump administration, but move, reconstruct, a just and humane immigration system. Over the last years, we have seen how abusive. We are very excited to welcome Representative Ocasio-Cortez to the floor. We have been overdue for policy that actually realizes the full potential of all people on our soil and who live on our soil and to call this country home. And that's really what the roadmap to freedom does. I think it's also incredibly important that we understand and really see the context with which this legislation is being introduced in a time when immigrant workers, whether they are farm workers, whether they are teachers, whether they are doctors, and the contributions of immigrant workers have been so valuable and so valued and so recognized as just so fundamental and life-saving and life-preserving in our society, it it is time that we pair that with legislation that accurately values people's lives.
0: President Biden's immigration reform legislation would create a roadmap for citizenship for 11 million immigrants. He also issued a series of executive orders striking at the core of Trump's anti-immigration agenda. along an executive order barring private prisons has not been extended to cover immigration detention centers. Those centers have been blasted for human rights abuses, including forced hysterectomies of women detainees exposed by a whistleblower at a privately run center in Georgia last year. And Reuters reports that a leader of the white supremacist group known as the Proud Boys has been an FBI informant. For years. The news agency says Enrique Tario was offered a reduction in a 30 month federal sentence for fraud in return for becoming an active informant, responsible for numerous arrests of associates for marijuana and other drug offenses, as well as other fraud cases. Tario was arrested before the January 6th assault on the United States Capitol. He was charged with burning a Black Lives Matter banner stolen from a historic black church and told to leave the city. Confronted by Reuters, Tario says he doesn't remember ratting out anyone. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced Wednesday that he would unveil a reopening plan by the end of the week, outlining how New York City restaurants may soon offer indoor dining once again. The announcement seems to contradict the statement he made Monday, saying his administration was not contemplating a return to indoor dining anytime soon.
5: At this point, it's safe to say the I holiday surge, surge, the holiday was, surge anticipated. was anticipated. The holiday surge uh, did happen, but the holiday surge is over. New York City, obviously, is in a different situation given the density, given crowding. Uh, and we're hyper-cautious in New York City, but still following the data. We're going to be talking to uh, all the health officials. We have been already. Uh, We'll be talking to them during this week. We'll be talking to uh, the officials, elected officials. Uh, I'll be talking to the mayor. I'll be talking to the uh, relevant uh, local electeds and uh, the restaurant uh, community from a planning point of view. And by the end of the week, uh, we'll have a plan on New York City restaurants. I fully understand uh, how difficult it is that they are closed not just for the restaurants, but all the people who are employed there. Uh, on the flip side is uh, how fast this virus can take off. But we'll have a plan uh, for the New York City restaurants by the end of the week.
0: Cuomo's statement comes as Mayor Bill de Blasio expressed his frustration. The city is ready to vaccinate, but is being held back by lack of vaccines from the federal government.
6: We have just about 7,700 doses on hand, but the bigger challenge here is that we have doses that are waiting for that second dose use, but for over two weeks in the future. As of the end of yesterday, that number was almost 100,000 doses. Let's use what we have now, because we obviously see more efforts being made to increase supply. We know Johnson Johnson is coming. And even if we have to say to people, your second dose is going to be slightly delayed, it's still better to get a first dose in as many people's arms as possible to give them that 50% protection. That's what I'm arguing. Otherwise, what we're left with is a situation where we can do very few uh, vaccinations at all. We're just stuck right now because we don't have supply.
0: And that's Mayor de Blasio. President Biden says he'll be using the full power of the government to ramp up to 600 million doses of the vaccines. But he's going to be a major undertaking.
1: This is a wartime effort. When I say that, people ask wartime, I say, yeah, more than 400,000 Americans have already died. I think it's 411 or 12 have died in one year of this pandemic. More than all the people who died in all the Americans who died in World War II. This is a wartime undertaking. It's not
0: hyperbole. President Biden. Meanwhile, New York City added to its tens of thousands of people felled by the cruel virus today with the death of legendary Chinatown photographer Corky Lee. The announcement came at a Zoom meeting of community groups earlier today.
6: So has uh, uh, anyone able to oh, go to- no. the link? Yep, I I dropped it in the chat.
3: I'll I'll keep dropping it throughout because I know a lot of people in the chat. So I'll, I'll keep dropping the link. It's a YouTube link.
7: What?
1: Oh my god!
7: Rest in power, Corky Lee. Oh my god! Oh no! Oh god! Somebody's saying in the chat, let's have a moment of silence for Corky Lee. Let's do that. Okay, let's have a moment of
0: silence. Lee reportedly first began feeling symptoms of COVID on January 3rd. He was admitted to a Queen's Hospital on January 7th, then was moved into the intensive care unit on January 11th, where he was put on a respirator. Lee, 73, has documented Manhattan's Chinatown and the city's Asian-American and Pacific Islander communities since the 1970s. He goes by the whimsical moniker, the undisputed, unofficial Asian-American photographer laureate. And in 2019, a consortium of community groups under the banner of the Lower East Side Organized Neighborhood filed lawsuits to reverse the city's approval of four new towers along the waterfront in the neighborhood of Two Bridges near Chinatown on the Lower East Side. A year later, State Supreme Court Judge Arthur Engeron ruled in favor of the community, finding the planned megatower skyscrapers violated longstanding zoning rules. The developers appealed, and the appeal was heard today. The developers, JDS and Two Bridges Neighborhood Council, proposed a 1,008-foot rental building that cantilevers over a senior center. And developers L Plus M and CIM proposed a 798 and 728-foot tower in the decidedly low – Uh, Rise Neighborhood, uh, famed for its uh, struggling, poor community. Community advocates from throughout the city say they've been fighting the Blasio administration pro-development plans and rezoning plans and joined together to build a citywide community movement. I am Cheryl
4: Pam, co-chair of Inwood Legal Action. We stand with the coalition to protect Chinatown and the Lower East Side because the fight over two bridges is everyone's fight. That is, it's your fight if you care about creating a city where its greatest assets, the people, are truly valued. Affordable housing is the key to everything, to arts, to neighborhood amenities, to diverse small business ecosystems, to educational achievement, to our health, to economic opportunity, but land use is the tool that's wielded against the people of this city by the forces of real estate to deny us the sustainable, affordable communities that our city needs to thrive. Land use is a tool of the powerful that has been used to deny us our right to fair housing, to limit where we can live and to make it hard for us to stay in our homes. That is why the two bridges fight is a just fight. A win here is a win for all of us. So we salute you And we stand
0: with you. Communities shouldn't have to sue our electeds to stop unwanted, racist, and harmful rezoning and land use decisions. But here we are. Any rezoning or land use decision without real community input, in my opinion, is illegitimate, corrupt, and racist. Nothing for us without us is for us. I'm proud to stand with you today, tomorrow, and as long as it takes for us to build the kind of city puts our needs
6: ahead of those of developers. Next, we are going to hear from Family Ip from East River Park Action.
7: We were hit the hardest down here in the low east side of East Village since Sandy, Hurricane Sandy. And we haven't gotten any interim flood protection at all. Not even the recent hurricane. We didn't even get any temporary flood protection. So it makes you wonder, like, well, what is this flood protection plan really, exactly. Our biggest fear is that they come in, demolish the entire park, throw up their hands and say, you know what, we ran out of money. It's a $1.45 billion plan. We run out of money. And you know what, and these people over here, these developers over here are willing to give us money, but we're going to have to give up part of the land. And we've seen that happen over and over Just to show how how we are all related in this fight, and it's all a big part of the city's land grab from areas that are just areas that are economically disadvantaged because they know that we would be less inclined to speak up or fight about it. Beth Grace Lee, founder of SeaPort Coalition.
8: Uh, For those who don't know
3: me, I'm a mother and I'm an activist fighting alongside my community against a developer trying to build two super tall. 470-foot luxury residential towers in the historic Seaport District, violating the zoning, um, breaking existing community-based zoning for a bribe. It threatens climate resiliency in our neighborhood and the thousands of neighbors in our, um, and
8: threatens the health of our neighbors in our community.
6: Next, uh, we have Jake Fong from Sunset Park, Organized Neighbors.
8: In 2019, our local fight in Sunset Park came to a head when a private, rezo- uh, a private developer dropped the proposal on us to change the industrial waterfront to retail and light and commercial, basically creating an outdoor mall. Mayor de Blasio also wholeheartedly endorsed it. So they counted on buying off a few brown faces to push it through, but they didn't count on the kind of unity that Chinatown and Lower East Side have seen and uh, flushing community that the Asian, Latino, the Mexican, Puerto Rican, Caribbean, and white people coming together to fight it. We gathered thousands of signatures, almost the same number that got a council member elected. And we called on him to take a definitive, no stance against the rezoning. But instead he called a town hall meeting in which he presented his conditional acceptance of the plan and he called it industry city our way. This proposal was met with overwhelming opposition and we joined with many other community organizations in a united message to say no rezoning, no conditions. So we kept showing up. We kept demanding that we would be the only ones to decide the future of our community, not the developer and not the city. And so finally in 2020, we won.
0: And the judge heard arguments today. A decision will be handed down in about six weeks. And finally, about those woolly mittens that United States Senator Bernie Sanders wore to the presidential inauguration, sparking endless quirky memes across social media. They've helped to raise $1.8 million in the last five days for charitable organizations in Sanders' home state of Vermont. That's according to Bernie Sanders speaking today. The sum comes from a sale of merchandise with the January 20th image of him sitting with his arms and legs crossed, clad in his brown parka and recycled wool mittens. Sanders' mittens were made by Jen Ellis, a Vermont elementary school teacher who has a side business making mittens out of recycled wool. His inauguration look also featured the winter jacket made by Burton Snowboards sparked countless memes from the photo taken by Agence France Press. The former presidential candidate could be found on social media timelines taking a seat on the subway, the moon and the couch with the cast of Friends, among other creative locales. Ellis said on social media over the weekend that Sanders called to her. That the mitten frenzy had raised an enormous amount of money for Vermont charities, although she was not authorized to disclose the amount yet. But it's big and it's amazing. Thank you. Generosity brings joy, she tweeted. And that's some of the news for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. For the WBAI News, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.